Hello everyone, it is 6 p.m. on Tuesday. You know what it means? It's a Gradcast. And here for as a host for you today is me, Susan Anthony, and Andrew, Andrew Hannah. And my and our guest tonight is Christine Musgrove from the music department, which is great because that's something well. And you have a bit of experience with music, I hear, in the past. Yeah, I, I did play a bit of uh, flute in high school. I was kind of forced into it, to be honest with you, <laughs> in grade nine. I had a little crush on a girl, and I decided to <laughs> try to impress her and play the flute, and it stuck with me for four years. So That's, that's hardly forced into it. That, yeah, that sounds like I, you, you really... You know, I was trying my best, the but, <laughs> to but. be honest, but here we are. And yeah, I, I, I love the instrument, to be honest. it's I love the music. I love the... I love orchestras. Well, there's nothing wrong with learning an instrument. That's great that you got to do that. But today we'll talk a bit about um, research that goes on at in the uh, music department because that's something I don't know much about at all. We had a guest on recently who talked about uh, composing an opera. And uh, so Andrew and I are both in sciences. So for us, we know what goes into a science PhD or master's, but you're in music. So... Uh, first off, how did you get into a PhD in music? Like, what led you to here? Uh, well, I uh, did my uh, master's uh, while I was teaching full time. When I, I lived, used to live in Miami. Um, Wait, Miami, Florida. Miami, Florida. Okay. Right. I've heard about us. Uh, there's a Miami, there's an Ohio. Ohio. Yes. And yeah, it's a little disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you don't want to confuse those two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I went to undergrad in Florida, and I was teaching in uh, Miami, and I decided that I wanted to further my education. I felt uh, that it's very competitive in music, so why not? Uh, go ahead and get a master's when I was in a situation where I was close to a university where I could full-time teach and continue t- and continue my education. Uh, then I moved back up to West Virginia, which is about an hour and a half outside of D.C., and I was teaching there for a couple years, and I was toying around with doing a Ph.D. in music ed. Uh, I was thinking about maybe doing uh, just an educational doctorate online, but then I kind of realized it's not what I really wanted to do and why spend that much money and time on a, on a doctorate if that's not the specific mm-hmm. one you want to do. So I started looking around and I had a, uh, I knew some of the profs in the music department here because uh, they used to also teach the university I went to in Miami where I went to grad school. Oh. Somehow that happened and I kept in touch and I sort of started checking the school out and I up applied really thinking that I wasn't <laughs> gonna get in I just I don't know I just had that mentality like, yeah, I'll apply we'll see what happens and I got in and Western's great I got a great finance you know package and everything and came to visit and I loved it so I decided uh to t- take the leap and leave my full-time <laughs> teaching gig uh, at a brand new school and uh come and study at Western well Sorry. Oh no, it's it's great because uh, you were mentioning that you were seeing a com- like a competitive side of music. Mm-hmm. So do you want to elaborate a little more on that? When I think music, I'm thinking people enjoying themselves playing some music. <laughs> so what makes music competitive? Well, it depends on what uh, field you're in, right? There's performance and education and theory and history and all these different things. Uh, within music education, uh, if you think of a, of, a, of a school, there's many math teachers and science and English, but with music, a lot of times there's only one or two. So if you get into a school and you're there for a very long time, there's not a lot of turnover. So there's a lot of, 
I guess in the States, there's a lot of older teachers who have a lot of seniority that have been at that same job for a really long time. So when it opens up, young people like me who don't have a lot of experience, it's sort of hard to get those jobs. So what a lot of people are doing is getting those master's degrees and so on and so forth to make themselves more competitive within the field. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of for the education side, that's, yeah. So speaking competitive, um, <laughs> I read a bit of your abstract about your research and you study competitive marching bands. And now that's something that is kind of not well known in Canada. I know I've seen some cool YouTube videos <laughs> where people do like, they're the all, it's amazing. Yeah, the drumline movie, top, <laughs> top high school movie. So Exactly, the, the, the culture that, that comes up to Canada, this is what we think of it. And you yourself have been a marching band member for since what, you were 14 you said? Uh, yeah, I did it from when I was about 14 to around 19 or so. And then after that, I've been an instructor. So you have you know a bit about that world and mm -hmm. you got into teaching. So what brought you to study marching bands, as it were? Well, it's sort of, uh, I guess before I came to Canada, I didn't realize that it was very, uh, I guess, more of a cultural thing in the U.S., um, it's uh, very co um, very competitive, depending on the I guess the, where you're at within the country, because U.S. is massive, right? Uh, but it's uh, it sort of models the, this thing called Drum Corps International, which is um, basically from about f I guess you about 14 years of age to 21 years of age, you can you actually pay money and you go out on the weekends almost every weekend throughout the winter and then the summer you do you go on a bus and you travel the country and practice like 12 hours a day and you compete and it's uh, it's it's fantastic if you go and watch the shows but uh, that's sort of what a lot of the schools are uh, modeling I guess and I've just uh, I mean I fell in love with music through that activity because I, I play percussion and I, I love playing my drum and being loud and it's fun and <laughs> you go to the football games and there's a crowd and all that fun stuff. Um, but I've been, been sort of interested in it because because of that uniqueness. This is athletic activity, uh, which is very strenuous. You have to be very fit, but it's also musical and they're kind of putting a quantitative number on how good for lack of a better word, your performances and you're playing these same three songs for like six months and kind of per perfecting it. So I'm just uh, interested in that sort of competitive environment and I've been looking at um, the uh, language or the discourse that's used. Uh, for example, it's very authoritative, totalitarian, where uh, it's kind of, kind of top up where the director is making the decisions and you have to do specifically what they're asking. So that's interesting to me as a music educator because where is the creativity within that? So that's um, another term you used when I was reading your abstract is militaristic. Right, um, yes. And you can see it, you can almost hear it because, you know, marching bands, you think of the music as being very, you know, mar march literally marching yeah. band is you think about like army or something. Um, so how is that language uh, similar to say, you know, some we can probably imagine, you know, we've seen army movies and stuff. How is that similar or different to say in the army or in a school <laughs> versus in a music class? 
Yeah, I think, well, there's a lot of different components to that. I think, um, you know, the marching band really stemmed out of the mili military, right, the military bands, and then uh, once we started having school music in the U.S., it sort of sort of made its way into that. Um, when it comes to, I guess, the, the language that's being used, I think... Uh, it's interesting because if you walk into a band classroom versus a music classroom, so a band classroom would be like a concert band classroom, uh, there's a lot more surveillance going on. There's a lot more. I feel like the rules are stricter because there's so much happening. You got It's not a math classroom where everyone's doing the same assignment. Everyone's instrument part a lot of times is different, and there's different skill levels. And then a high school, you have grade 9s with grade 12s. and it's, Whereas a music classroom, I think of more of a general music classroom where everyone's the same age, and you may be doing rhythm games or s singing songs together. or It's sort of, to me, a little bit more of a, a fluid environment. Whereas band, you're, in the Western classical tradition, you're just trying to keep reproducing the same thing. If you're playing a Mozart piece in orchestra, you're going to want to play it exactly the way that the conductor or the uh, composer, I guess, wants you to. So it's very uh, rigid and there's not a lot of room for more student-focused learning. Uh, so I find that, I don't know, for me it's, it's interesting because I, I grew up learning that way and a lot of times teachers teach the way they've been taught so trying to break out of that militaristic way of teaching and thinking differently. I'm so, I've sort of been thinking a lot about that. Well, especially because it sounds like teaching is a huge part of what you have done mm -hmm. and are, you're currently teaching as you yes, I uh Yes, well, I, I teach at the university. I do, I'm a TA for a concert band and conducting, which is in the Western classical, more authoritative type. And then during the summers, I work with three different programs. Two of them, I'm the coordinator and the other one I work with, uh, with marching band, there's, I don't know if you've ever watched marching band, but there's the drum line in the back, and then in the front, there's a front ensemble that's like xylophone and timpani and marimba and all the pitch percussion. Uh, in one of the schools, I just do that because the school is massive. It's like 200 plus students on the field marching. And so I sort of uh, have a little bit of a different role there, but I'm still teaching, but I'm, I am, trying very hard to really think about how I'm talking and what I'm what exactly I'm saying and why I'm saying it so that I can sort of teach away in a way that teach differently than what I was taught uh, so that I feel like the students are getting are going to be more engaged if there's an open dialogue instead of me just talking at them so this is sort of different than the traditional form of um, band teaching as, right. as you say now, how does that fit into your research? Because your um, your research into the language, or you say discourse, but even for for simple biologists, it's <laughs> it's how people talk to each other, not just the words they use, mm -hmm. but also like not tone maybe but you know when yeah. you talk to someone of authority you, we can all imagine that you know mm -hmm. talk to your supervisor or something yes. you talk to them differently than you talk to the undergrad volunteering in your lab <laughs> yes or, or whatever situation you're in or you know your friend you talk differently than your child than your parent so um how does that all work with uh with your research because you're studying that language in the marchy band how does that go off into hmm. other places? Well, I, 
I'm, I'm looking at that um, with, uh, I'm, I took a, the anthropology class, so I'm looking, we talked about these things called speech communities where uh, you kind of divide up into different groups and those different groups may use language that's slightly different. The flute players might be a group and then the percussionists will be a group and you, you can sort of tell the language is a little different between the drummers and so I'm sort of... Um, I'm looking at that specifically um, and what that indexes, so what that symbolizes, uh, semi, the kind of semiotic science, and those type of things. For me personally, I, um, two of the schools that I'm going to be researching, one of them I have been an instructor in the past, the other one I'm still teaching at. So for, for me, I've, I think there's a uh, ideology that you have to have those hierarchies and you have to sort of talk to that lab assistant a little bit different than you talk to your prof, than you talk to you know supervisor or whatever. But I'm sort of tr trying to, for me personally, when I'm teaching, I'm trying to t take away those labels and those hierarchies because I'm not, I'm not interested in being perceived as being better or higher or more, uh, I guess, qualified or whatever the case may be I'm I want my students to really learn and be engaged and I want to know what they're interested in and I want them to be able to ask questions without feeling you know you go talk to your professor sometimes you're like oh my gosh like I, you know I'm not really sure and for me I've been really lucky because the department that I'm in my professors aren't like that they're but I've had professors like that in the mm -hmm. past so I, I have very I guess good working relationship and I want my students to have the same with me and I go there year after year so a lot of them I'm known for a long time but I want to I want to I mean obviously there's still a hierarchy right they, they know that I'm the instructor and it is that but I'm not trying to rule with an iron fist sort of thing and I've noticed that because I'm, especially the last couple of years, have been speaking in that way and sort of uh, speaking with them and not at them, that their language has changed as well. And they're not sort of, those older kids aren't talking down to the younger kids because when they were younger kids, the older kids were talking, you know, that cycle, yeah. trying to get rid of that. So I think mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's really made me think differently about the way I interact with people. So you, you compared these musicians to athletes, which is a mm -hmm. very interesting parallel. Um, so if you don't mind elaborating a little bit more on that with, in terms of training, mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you see in an athlete compared to these these musicians and how do they overlap? Yeah, so it, with, the, with the competitive marching band, um, it's interesting that it's, there's a video of a study being done with... Uh, they, I, I'm not a science person, but they hooked up all kinds of different, uh, I guess, wires to them to monitor heart rate and things like that. And they took one of the percussionists off the field, one of the ones that played uh, this huge drum. It's probably, I don't know, 70 pounds or so, and he's having to march around with this drum on. And they just started the music, and his heart rate immediately jumped to how high it would be if he was actually on the field. So that actually like caused his body to have a reaction um, wow. wow, yeah, that's very <laughs> yeah, interesting. like an athletic, like, an, and he said it was the same reaction that, I don't know, like a someone who was running a marathon or something. It was yeah. like something significant. Um, so you're having to have this, depending on, of course, how difficult the show is, right? I mean, it's, there's different levels, but um, 
basically it's you're having to have this intense amount or high amount of athleticism but you're also having if you've ever watched marching band you're having to move to different places right mm -hmm. you're creating pictures um and you're having to watch and listen right and you're having to play your part at the same time so there's just the, the amount of multitasking is just mm -hmm. Uh, significant <laughs> and it, I mean I know for me I I don't know if this this wasn't very smart but I played one of the heavier drums and I'm I'm only five foot so for me having to go back and forth and do all these different things was was very uh, difficult I guess um, that was a long time ago now but yeah it's just uh, it's sort of this athletic I mean the same thing with you know d dance and these other t there's other things that are artistic and also very much uh, but this is sort of different because it's outside and you're wearing this weird uniform and you're like each have your own individual part and it's just it's just sort of I don't know I kind of think of it as like an anomaly it's just it's just odd mm -hmm. you know when you go watch a concert band or a choir they're all in their tuxedos and they're very still and they're sort of you know, and you're like, what, why do you have this feather out coming out of your hat, right? It's just, it's just weird. And I, and to, it's funny because I never thought it was weird until I really thought about it. I'm like, this is odd. And, and to be honest with you, it's the amount of grace that is put into all of that. I mean, you combine athleticism, timing, coordination, and then to top it all off, it has to be a graceful performance <laughs> as well. It, it is quite incredible yeah. to, to watch. Um, so w with regards to your research then, um, what are you finding in terms of trends amongst these athletes? What are you finding, like what is um, like your specific work starting to find? Yeah, well, I'm sort of in the infancy of it right now. Um, I've mostly done, um, I guess, the leg work. Um, I'm going to be, I'm right now doing the ethics process, which Yay. is super which is fun. Great. Right? <laughs> Another reason to work on invertebrates. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I've, I'm sort of doing that right now, and I'm hoping to submit that soon. But um, so I haven't really gotten in, in, in it, you know. Um, I can just speak to you know my past experience i guess um so i'm just uh i this i i picked specific schools because the the one school was like super competitive and they're really into it and they want to win mm -hmm. awards and you know accolades and they just want to um and they also have really good concert band and then jazz band and all these other things and then the second school has this massive band and they have wonderful jazz and concert band but they're not really they don't really care that much about they're more mm. care about the musicianship aspect of it mm. I mean their repertoire their pieces their repertoire is much more difficult but they don't really compete as much but if they did they would just sweep everyone because they're so it, I find that odd because most people who are competitive want to go out and just yeah. do everything and if this you can win why not go yeah out but this director who I, I know very well He's like, no, I don't need the trophy. I already know what my kids can do. And that attitude versus, and the other guy's fantastic too, but he's more like, I want to yeah. go and get the. So it's sort of, that sort of dynamic is so interesting to me. Cause like you said, if you can win, like let's go win. But if you're at the point where you're, you know, your kids are, are the best around and you don't want that trophy, like how does that, it impacts the kids. The, there's more it seems like there's more intrinsic motivation for them because they know that they're good and it's sort of like this uh, competition with themselves like I give them music mm -hmm. and they're 
really trying to learn it and they don't even need me and some of the stuff is really hard I'm like wow I couldn't play this in high school what are you doing this is fantastic where the other school wants the trophies but and they have so many more practices and their pieces aren't as hard and it's just I just I'm kind of like interested in why you know so yeah so that brings me to the question you so you're saying this in in high school students yes and what kind of things I mean they're not going to be listening. What kind of things are you be asking <laughs> them, and what kind of things are you measuring? Or well, I'm, I want to ask a lot of questions about um, how, how they view themselves and how, and and their I guess their role in the program. Well, okay. Yeah, because I, I think that has to do with with identity because a lot of these students are not just in marching band. They also play sports or they're active maybe outside of the church or whatever the case may be. So I'm also, you know, with with the class that I took with the anthropology class, we talked a lot about you know, identity is fluid. I My identity in this moment is going to be different than my identity if I go somewhere else and, do, you know, I'm talking to my friends I've known since I was a kid versus if I go talk to my supervisor. It's sort of the shifting thing. So I'm also sort of interested in that dynamic. They're how how they're viewing themselves within i don't know like within that band context if you're if i'm hanging out with my percussion friends that might act a little differently or my identity might be different than if i'm hang, talking with all the section leaders who are might be all be seniors so you're sort of i'm interested in that and also you know the the language is also a part of mm-hmm. that sort of identity formation so it's sort of a gap in the literature a little bit. There's been a lot of literature about discourse in the concert band and identity in the marching band, but they haven't been linked. So uh, I'm try- I guess I'm trying to get in that sweep spot and link it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's also a, a very tough time for uh, people in high school. It's kind of a time when they're really trying to identify themselves mm-hmm. is that um why did you pick this age group yeah i think i um there's a lot of ethnographies about um within that age range range because of that specific thing so and also that i guess the competitive marching band is very uh narrowed down to that um i guess i could have done college they don't compete and then the, the drum corps i'm not really interested in on that sort of thing because the, those are the those are, that's like dem, the demographic that can afford to pay to not work for the summer and go and so I was kind of interested in this dynamic that's more inclusive mm-hmm. I guess and it's interesting because they are you know and you're in high school you're a totally different person well maybe not totally different <laughs> but you change from year to year to year mm-hmm. you're 14 to 18 years old it's a prime time you know so it's a very interesting time of most yeah. people's lives to be honest <laughs> and the age as you're saying you know the older students and the younger students working together there's quite a difference between 14 and 18, 18 mm-hmm. yeah. how you talk to each other it's 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 interesting working with those kids too you got a kid with full beard right <laughs> playing the drums 18 years old and then you got a kid who's just 14 who's scared out of their mind carrying this heavy drum and they have no idea what's going on it's it's 
you got to find the humor in it, yeah. Does that <laughs> does that create that age difference? I mean, I, I'm thinking back in high school, you know, when you were in, you were a niner and the older kids, <laughs> a you, niner? You, yeah, you can't sit in the back of the bus. Is you got to sit at the. Thing? Oh yeah, they used to call us niners. So <laughs> they call them tenors. And no, no, you're either okay. a niner or you're past that stage, and that's oh, all that you're matters. Oh, past the niner. <laughs> all right. But um, you are or aren't a niner. Exactly. Okay. That's all that matters. As long as you're not in grade nine. But do, do you find? I mean, that's a very interesting dynamic there and do you find that maybe the older students are starting to take that leadership role and mm-hmm. does that create that opportunity for them that otherwise maybe wouldn't exist yeah I definitely I you make a huge effort for for to pair the students up um, not to tell them but to, to, to sort of pair them up with older students or and that's sort of that idea of having that community instead of having sort of that hierarchy that's having like a looser hierarchy so that those kids can sort of work together because you don't want there to be a a separation. You want that 18-year-old to to bring that 14-year-old in and be like, all right, you know what, this is is how you play this percussion exercise. Let's work together so that we can, you know, be a team instead of, I guess, niner, like ignore (laughs) them, right? Because that happens sometimes. Oh, yeah. I think in that environment, you're spending so much time together. Um, if you're at a school that's super competitive, you could start having rehearsals in May and June, and the season doesn't start till September to mm-hmm. November. So you're spending like six months of your time with with these with each other. So hopefully, you're creating a <laughs> a, a community that gets along, and <laughs> they're not uh, bullying the Niners. Well, we're getting into the last few minutes right. here, but I, I'm I'm just so curious about this the co- competitiveness of it. Um, so we hear a lot about how um, high school football and, mm. and things like are very important. Yeah. Uh, what is how important is competitive marching bands? I think it's it's it just like sports. It just it depends from school to school. Some schools love their football team, and some schools are like oh our team stinks. You know, we're, <laughs> not, we're what's the point of going? Um, in my experience, when I was in school, it was incredibly important. I grew up in that environment where it was it was just you ha- we needed to win, and I never questioned it. And I I'm, that's something that I really bothersome to me now because I feel that the kids are uh, it's sort of viewed as a commodity these uh, these accolades mm-hmm. like oh I want to uh, my I have value because I won first place but what is that you know that I'm not really interested in that first place trophy have you improved if you haven't improved at all and we went out and won what does that mean? that doesn't mean anything so mm-hmm. um, it is important but I try to uh, explain to them how you know this it depends there's a lot of variables if you go out and you're the only one in your category and you get first place you could still go home and you have first place but that doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. and and it's also when you're playing football you're playing the same game when you're doing any sort of arts activity you're comparing two completely different pieces of Mm -hmm. art with each other but for the same score so subjective so to me, I, I try to talk to them a little bit about that, so they don't get wrapped up and get, cause, you know, they get sad when they lose. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, guys, it's okay. <laughs> and that's that's the crux of it is to make it sort of a a, a positive experience. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming to chat with us of today, course. Justine. Um, 
Uh, we have been GradCast. Oh, actually, is there, if anyone wants to know more about your research, <laughs> is there a place uh, they can contact you or do you have uh, Twitter or can, I'm website? on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, um, at uh, K Anita Musgrove, M-U-S-G-R-O-V-E. And I'm pretty active on there. I try to retweet Western and all that fun stuff as much as I can, so. Wonderful. Yeah, on that note, let's, I'm probably going to go watch Drumline tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cannon. Yeah, oh, great movie. <laughs> and uh, for more contact info, if you want to be part of GradCast, if you want to talk about your research, or want to be part of this fun group that we have going <laughs> on here, uh, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Uh, and if you want to know more about our program or you want to hear more of our shows, you can either download them through iTunes or Google Play or stream them online at gradcast.ca. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks.